welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. Jeff, we both have good stories for our fans tonight. We do. We both have good stories. Yours, yours involves. I think there's a lot more to yours, right? Like you've got some pain. Well, it started from a very good place. You were doing something very nice for very people who needed it, right? Yes. And, so, uh, yes. It involves a lot of pain. My story's just uh, it's just me being dumb, but you were punished for doing good. I mean, you may have financial pain from your story. Well, I don't. It's financial gain. Oh. But. Yes. So we were out uh, building. My wife's grandparents live on a little farm in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And I, when I say middle of nowhere, like if you looked up BFE, it would be, it would say, okay, you're halfway to get into their house. That's how middle of nowhere we're talking here. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to send while we're on the show here, I'm going to find a screenshot here and drop a pin for you. Okay. So you can see how to get to, um, how do I do this here? Okay, let's see, type, see if this link works for you that I'm gonna put in our little chat and you can see how middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere is. And um, so my wife's grandparents, they live on a little farm out in BFE, Arizona. And this is nowhere folks. Like they closest grocery store is like 40 minutes away, I think. Southwest Jojoba. Yeah, this, well, this is nowhere, folks. I mean, oh, you guys well, aren't looking at this map, but Southwest Jojoba—that's a solar farm that they—that's uh, a solar farm right there. But there it used to be a jojoba, like bunch of farms around there. Um, but now it's behind their little house is some solar, a solar plant. Um, and actually, I think if you look on these Google Maps, you can see there's a bunch of rocks that uh, you can't quite see it on there. Where so this actually where they live. General Patton in World War II. That's like where they made their camp and like where he trained people before they deployed in the middle of nowhere. And so there were like, there's rocks that are still sitting in, and it almost looks like a blueprint to a house because he made the soldiers like, you have to build your house and like you have to have a kitchen and a living room and a bedroom. And it like, they were just sleeping in tents, like open air or not even a tent. They just, it was like open air, but it was like, he made them go find rocks and then like put them in a line to outline where a house would be as part of their training. But that was a big derailment. But so they live in the middle of nowhere and they're old health is declining. Have had grandpa's had a couple strokes. Grandma's hip needs to be replaced. They can't live out there by themselves anymore. So my wife's family all got together last weekend and we're building them a new place to live a little like 16 by 32 foot guest house right next to my aunt's uh, or my wife's aunt and uncle um, up in the Phoenix area. And they, so we're building it along. People started on Thursday. It's mostly done now. Actually it was done. Well, on Sunday nights, started putting the first coat of paint on then Monday. So they started on Thursday leveling the ground and then by Sunday night and Monday afternoon, they're finishing the paint and putting the flooring in and painting the interior and it's done now. So we built the whole house in like four days, which is kind of fun. But I was uh, working in the bathroom and with in some freak accident, not sure how 
one second I was hanging, um, hanging like a little horizontal stud to mount a handrail. Cause you know, the old people, when they're getting in and out of the bathtub, they need a handrail so they don't slip and fall and you can't just hang that in drywall. Mm-hmm. And one second I'm hanging them up and everything's going great. And the next second I am screaming expletives because I have a framing nail that is now going through my thumb 180 degrees from the way that the framing nail gun was pointed. So I'm very confused. I don't know how it meant. Like, I don't know if it was a ricochet or what happened, but somehow it went, the gun was in my left hand going left to right. And the nail was going right to left. And so I had to get in the car and I was sitting in the front seat, breathing very heavily, trying to like not look down and see it in the shock. And my mother-in-law was driving as fast as she could to get me to the hospital. And my wife was sitting behind me, like massaging my shoulders, telling me to relax in the cars. I'm freaking out. And so I went got to the hospital, got checked in and they gave me some morphine, which immediately made me feel like I needed to barf. So at that point I didn't feel my thumb anymore. I just felt like I was going to throw up. And then the nausea medication that they gave me with the morphine that kicked in. And so then after that, I was just hanging out and then they came and numbed my thumb and pulled it out. So it was, you know, it hurt very badly once I think the initial shock, I don't remember it hurting too much looking back at it now. Cause I just remember like the shock of it all and breathing really fast and then like freaking mm-hmm. out of it, getting to the hospital. And then, but by the time I like settled into the hospital where it was like, okay, now I'm kind of like calming down and this thing hurts like a mother. There's only like 15 minutes before I got the morphine and like that happening. So, you know, it wasn't that terrible, that thing, but I'm very lucky that it just went through the skin. I mean, I showed you here on the screen, like, it just looks like I have two little cuts on my thumb. Like it just looks like nothing. It went straight. It was a gnarly picture on Twitter of the nails sticking all the way through. Yeah. But it missed. It didn't get lodged in my bone. It didn't hit any tendons. It literally just went on the top side of my thumb, just above the knuckle, like straight under the skin and came out through. So they just numbed it. Slid. Well, they took an x-ray to make sure. Cause the doctor that was at the hospital was like, if this is in the bone at all, like if this is wedged in the bone or anything like that, like we're sending you to another hospital cause you need surgery, um, to fix it. And so, I mean, I wasn't going to like just rip it out myself. Cause one that would hurt. I mean, and two, it's like, I need my th- opposable thumbs are a good thing. It's kind of mm. what separates us from pretty much every other animal on the planet. I would like right. as a right-handed individual, I would like to have use of my right thumb for the rest of my life. Yeah. So it wasn't like my wife's uncle told me when I got back from the hospital that when he was like 19, something happened. Like he bumped into something when he had a gun and he actually, he drove a nail into his thigh all the way down with a nail gun and that he just ripped it. He said he just ripped it out and he was like, but there's a lot fewer nerve endings in your thigh and a lot more meat there where it's like, you know, you can just kind of grit and bear and rip it out of your thigh. And it's not, you're not going to feel it as much as that. And it's, you know, you could pretty much do anything to your thigh and it will heal fine on its own. Right. Cause there's just, there's a, there's a lot more real estate to work with than the delicate extremities of your hands. But that was my story. And it's now I'm kind of, I'm very lucky and it, I just, I guess I have a good story now. Uh, yeah, you do. And you have a cool picture. Like, you don't have to tell anybody that it wasn't a big deal at the end, right? You could just show people what was going on and say, hey, this happened. Yeah. I mean, if you shot yourself with a nail gun, here's the nail, show them your thumb, and away you go. Yep. My story is way less entertaining than that. I, 
I, and I'm realizing, well, I realized after I, I, I guess tweeted it, I put it on Instagram as well, that I was in a casino Monday morning at 8.30. And as I listened to that story back, I'm realizing that I didn't do a very good job of clarifying that I w- arrived at the casino at about 8.30. If you if you just watched the stories, it made it sound like I had been at the casino from the Super Bowl through the night until 830. And that was not the case. I was there at really about eight o'clock to cash out tickets that I had placed bets on earlier in the weekend. And I was there to cash out. But I mean, apparently, it made it worth your while to cash out. Well, it did. And apparently, though, the Eureka Casino in Mesquite. So for those of you who aren't uh, aren't degenerates, I'm going to say. Those of you who don't frequent the casino, the sports book is more often than not, occasionally they're one, like Caesars is a Caesars sports book in a Caesars casino. But by and large, the sports book is actually owned and operated by a different company who's basically subletting their space within the casino. They have some sort of an affiliation that if, if, the sports book is closed. I can take my cash ticket or my, my tickets to the cages of the casino and go and get cash. And then they settle that next day. Uh, so the Eureka casino, the sports book is a, a, a William Hill sports book. And I guess on the, on Sunday night on the Super Bowl, So they closed at about 10, 11 o'clock, which feels dumb. Like it feels like extend your hours for the Super Bowl. Come on. But they, they closed at you know, nine, 10 o'clock, whatever time they closed Super Bowl didn't end until after they were closed. And a lot of the money in Mesquite, Nevada ended up on the bucks. And so when the bucks won and won big, uh, the sports book took a hit, but the sports book was closed. So it was the cages that took this just massive hit in, and all their cash was gone. When I say all their cash was gone, I tried, I had a couple of tickets and I tried to just cash out one $600 ticket. I arrived at the casino at eight o'clock in the morning. Sportsbook didn't open until 8.30. I didn't want to sit around and wait. So I went to the cages and just like, hey, can you guys just cash this out? And they're like, we would love to. We're out of cash. This is a $600 ticket. Like we're not talking casino money here. We're talking 600 bucks. And they're like, dude, we don't have $100 to our name right now. We got to wait for the the Brinks truck to bring them their load. Like they got decimated. So uh, I had to sit around and wait for the sports book. And while I was sitting there, um, I realized I had a lot of time to reflect while I was there. There was a sleeper inside the sports book, which apparently is against the rules. You are not allowed to sleep in the casino. And so the, I guess the pit boss had to come and like, was like clapping, yelping, screaming, waking this person up because uh, security had to get involved. They threw the guy out and I just kind of sat there and I was like, man, this is, this is something else. Like this is what's happening here. And this is my life. I am, it's Monday morning. It's eight o'clock. I'm in a casino and it just felt, just felt weird. And so I put this story on Instagram. Really the biggest story of my story is the telling of the story. I put this story on Instagram and my Instagram, I don't really active on Instagram very often. I'll like stuff. I look at it, but I don't post very often over there. And uh, it's mostly friends and family who follow me, like high school friends. And I realized that they are not, uh, they are not aware of my affinity for gambling 
like everybody else is, right? Like Twitter, my personal life, I'm very upfront about it. I don't care. But my like my grandparents, people that I don't see very often, they don't get to see that side. So when I opened it up and I let it all out there, I immediately got feedback from my grandma. She was disappointed. My grandma's very, very traditional, very, very straight and narrow. The fact that this is called the Give Em Hell Brigham podcast, she got a little bit upset because we say hell. I mean, that's that's the kind of traditional grandmother I have. And when she saw Casino, I mean, it was it was bad news. So it led to a whole day. Ultimately, I was able to preserve my reputation by blaming it all on my wife. Uh, I, you know, I, I said she's got she's money lusting, like just this money hungry, power hungry woman. And that's the reason that I have to supplement my income, because no, no matter how hard I work, it's not enough for her. And. Lo and behold, that was enough to get everybody off my back. And they're apparently afraid of Jessica because she's so power hungry. So that worked out well for me. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have gone that route, but I'm glad you found a reasonable explanation that well, appeased your grandma. I, I, I felt like I could go that route because there have been multiple people. Uh, and when I say multiple, I, I probably double digits, double digits that have reached out to me over the course of the last several months and have asked me why my wife has a crush on Andy Reid. When I first started to shave my head and have a mustache, I realized, wow, I'm bald and fat and have a mustache. I kind of look like Andy Reid. And so I put it out on the Instagram world that the reason I look like Andy Reid is because my wife has this huge crush on Andy Reid, always has, and I'm just doing my best to look like, look like who she wants me to look like. And I've, I've posted about it three or four times and people believe me, man, like even her own brother, just this last weekend, he asked her like in all seriousness, why are you attracted to Andy Reid? Like, so people buy him. So I, I thought that I've already created this persona that she's this Andy Reid loving kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Why not? Why not be a lust, a money lusting person as well? I figured it was right on brand. You know, I can see that. And it's, you really are, you've, for the last six months, you've been crafting this Andy Reid alter ego. I have. It's not even an alter ego. It's just, you are becoming one. And I it's, am the less successful Andy Reid. Uh, but he did lose and he got smoked. So who's to it, say I'm less successful? You know, it, he, maybe the Chiefs need a new offensive line coach with how they were playing. But Daryl Funk will not be that offensive line coach because Daryl Funk not. was hired by BYU last week. We dubbed in, Well, it was right after the show came out last week. It was like, I don't know if it was the same day or was Kloon announced just before the show. We Kloon, didn't even. It wasn't it was like a day or two before. Yeah, it wasn't. We didn't even talk about it because we we had talked about that. It was basically a slam dunk, a deal. We've gotten Kloon, but Daryl Funk came out of nowhere. And it's tell us what the early, I guess, returns are from what you've talked to uh, with recruits. And, you know, I know we got one that an offer that was extended today was this coach Funk's first offer extended as a, at BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked to um, Parker Brailsford about that. Um, but what's the early returns on Daryl Funk? Uh, positive. Uh, Parker Brailsford is, I, I talked with Parker tonight and, uh, 
or I, I guess this afternoon rather, but he, he's excited about coach funk. He says that, yeah, the dude's energetic. He's passionate. Uh, he knows a ton about football. He's helped a lot of guys get to the league. I mean, really he has checked all the boxes that recruits talk about. Right. And so uh, for, for Parker, it was, it was good. I mean, it was a very good thing. Now, one thing that I thought is interesting. Now, I'm not going to name names, but I reached out to a number of BYU signees, right? Pr- primarily offensive linemen who are on missions. I reached out to some of their family members. And uh, anyway, as I talked with the people who signed with Coach Grimes and Coach Mateos, I thought it was really I don't know what the word is, but it was, it was something. Uh, they all mentioned Grimes, right? That, hey, uh, we like Coach Funk because he is probably the closest thing to Coach Grimes that we could get. We're sad that Coach Grimes left. We're worried, we were worried about Coach Grimes being gone, but now that Coach Funk is here, we're, we're, we're willing to stick it out. We think we can make this work. Everything was oriented around Coach Grimes. I... And I don't say this to, you know, belittle the man after he left, because I have been very much the one leading the parade that Eric Mateos was a fabulous recruiter for BYU. Not one of these signees talked about Eric Mateos. They talked about Jeff Grimes. And I, I thought that was interesting. And maybe that's not surprising. It was a little surprising to me because when I would talk to recruits when they were going through the recruiting process, there was a lot of talk about Coach Mateos. But I thought that was really interesting. The biggest concern that the that the offensive linemen who have signed had was that Coach Grimes is gone, not that Coach Mateos was gone. And, and so I think that leads to an interesting discussion that we may or may not have, a lot of people have already had, is really this Coach Funk is not replacing, in the eyes of a lot of these players, it seems like, he's not replacing Coach Mateos. He's replacing Coach Grimes. And that's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And it's, it, in my mind, okay, Mateos was going to stick around. The thing with Ryan Pugh happened, and then Mateos ended up leaving. That may end up being an okay thing for BYU. Just given what I have heard from these, these players and their families, it sounds like there was a lot more trust in Coach Grimes than there was in Coach Pugh or in Coach Mateos, which I thought was interesting. Again, I don't want to – uh, you're not going to find bigger fans of Coach Mateos than here at the Give Him Hell Brigham podcast. We've been huge, huge Mateos fans from, from day one when everybody was crapping on the hire because he was just fired at Texas State. We were huge on Mateos. We have been really all the way through, right? Right. And so this is in no way trying to disrespect him. It's just reporting what I have been told. A lot of focus on on Coach Grimes, and I thought that was interesting. And I think the biggest question that people had about Coach Funk is, well, what, like, he wasn't coaching in 2020. He was let go from Texas State, um, you know, when Trailer came in, and he didn't, is very similar. UTSA. Or, sorry, UTSA, not Texas State. Yeah. Yep. Um, and as Mateos was let go from Texas State. But the, you know, and he didn't come back, and he kind of had a weird career because, like, he, started it like he kind of coached smaller schools and then or he was at Colorado state for a while. Then he ended up at ball state with Brady Hoke. They had that good year, went to San Diego state. And then he followed Brady Hoke from San Diego state to Michigan and did well at Michigan with the talent that was there. And then after Michigan, it kind of 
pittered out and that's kind of so and then last year he wasn't going and he just he was out of coaching last year just because it you know late staff change and things were weird um but it and so i'm not sure if he was doing consulting roles similar to what kevin clune was doing for us um as well but it's you know coaching is a weird business where it's like especially as an assistant coach and not even just as an assistant coach but especially as an o-line coach where o-line coaches rarely for whatever reason get promoted to being a coordinator and rarely end up becoming a head coach and so it's kind of like you hit your wagon to an offensive staff and you ride that staff as far as you can go so he was on the brady hoke train and when that completely fell apart and he got when hoke got fired from michigan then you're kind of scrambling and then it's okay. Someone needs a line coach, but a staff that is a good staff is not going to be replacing coaches willy nilly, right? Like it's, so you're looking for someone who's trying to rebuild. And so it's, you kind of, so he went to Purdue, then he went to Indiana state, then he went to UTSA and all of those places, it was kind of not well other than Indiana state. It's like, all of those places, it's kind of like you're not in a good situation. You're getting brought in, and it's this hodgepodge together. But things aren't already aren't great. And then he was there for the last year before they're like, okay, this coordinator is gone. And when the coordinator goes, all the position coaches are gone too. And maybe you get retained, maybe you don't. But if you're bringing someone successful, they're probably going to bring the O line coach that they worked with because that's, they need to count on them. And that's very important. Like it's, it's like, a, it's a weird marriage, especially at the online position. And so I wouldn't read too much into it that he hasn't been anywhere. Cause obviously like he's coached a lot of, he's coached some good NFL players. He, I think hit the biggest knock for him. And from what I reached around and talked to some of the UTSA connections that we built last season, um, you know, when we talked and we had some other people on the show and kind of what was the concern there and why UTSA may have moved on. It was, he had a hard time. It sounded like selling UTSA as a program and recruiting um, was difficult. And that was similar. It's like, what did it Purdue? And so that may be a problem, but that's also where it's a fit thing, right? Like it's, well, yeah, I mean, who it's sell UTSA and Purdue, frankly. Right. Like, and so that's UTSA a, is a tough sell no matter what. And Purdue, you're competing with Ohio State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Like that's going to be a tough sell. Right. So you have to be like, it takes a certain type of tenacious recruiter. And if you are an older guy, maybe you don't kind of connect with the youngins as much as you used to. And it's, you're more of a technician. You're just going to be like a hard ass in practice, getting on them and getting them to work, whatever, you know, that's kind of more of what you're going to do. That's fine. And that can work, especially at a place at BYU where for the most part, you're going to get halfway decent bodies walking through that door because the honor code and recruiting at BYU is a much bigger, it's a much higher floor than it is a capping ceiling. Like the honor code is always going to prevent and like the limited recruiting pool of what BYU is, is always going to prevent BYU from getting like consistent top 25 classes. But it also, the flip side of that is you will never, ever, ever see BYU with like a sub 100 class. Like it, it will never completely fall apart and you will always get consistent good bodies that you can train up to be maulers and just get after people in the trenches. And, and what it does, the honor code really prevents BYU from knocking on anybody's door and getting in, All right? Like <laughs> a guy like Clark Phillips at, at Utah that flipped from Ohio State to go to Utah. Uh, he had no connection to Utah. It was, they knocked on their door. He listened. They did a heck of a job recruiting him and they flipped him from Ohio State. That's huge. Uh, BYU is not going to have very many of those. Most BYU recruits 
are going to have some sort of a connection to the program. And, and that's by because of the honor code, right? Like they'll get the, you know, the Chris Wilcox types, the Isaiah Herons, they'll get those guys that are, are maybe don't have competing offers, but by and large, a highly recruited kid who does not have a connection to the program is not going to come to BYU. That's just the nature of the honor code. But for whatever reason, uh, we Mormons really like to produce high quality offensive linemen. And it's not just the Polynesian thing. Like obviously the Polynesian thing, there are a lot of LDS Polynesians who are, have connections to the program, but there's a lot of not Polynesian offensive linemen who are high quality and members of the church. I have no idea why, why don't we produce more defensive ends? I don't know, but we produce a lot of offensive linemen. And so I'm interested to see, how coach funk delivers on that because i i truly am a believer that as long as an offensive line coach as long as the strategy of the offensive line at byu is big physical mauling offensive linemen there is enough of a recruiting pool of kids who want to come to byu that you are going to have high level players no matter who is there where things go awry is when you get away from big physical mauling offensive lineman coach Weber wanted, you know, and, and coach Doman, frankly, but back in, you know, 2011, 2012, they wanted smaller athletic speedy guys to do whatever it was that they were trying to do. I still don't really know what that scheme was, but whatever their scheme was, supposedly, I don't think they knew either at the time, <laughs> whatever their scheme was supposedly trying to be, they wanted smaller offensive linemen. So they broke out of the, traditional recruiting pool for BYU and the results suffered, right? But as long as you are going to get or you are trying to target big physical mauling offensive linemen, it's really hard to mess it up at BYU. I, I, just looking at the 2022 class right now, uh, George Miley is going to be the highest recruit, highest rated offensive lineman um, in the state of Utah and really on BYU's board. Trent Ramsey is right there close. Both are members of the church. Both have connections to the program. Even if BYU misses on both of them, right? We keep going down the list. Waylon Lapuaho is rated an 85, very solid three-star. Jacob Reese doesn't have a BYU offer right now. He's legit uh, at Brighton. He might be the best offensive lineman in the state, even though the 24-7 rankings have him at third or fourth. James Alosio at Timpu, his brother has already signed. Trevor Pay, his brother already plays. Bryce Radford grew up a BYU guy. Uh, I mean, we could go down this list. Eric Wilder at Syracuse uh, has a connection to the program as well. I think he'll get an offer soon. And, and, you know, he's got an offer now from, I think, five or six Mountain West schools, including Boise State. Like, there's just – there's offensive linemen everywhere for BYU. Like, you can't make the same argument about running backs or wide receivers or whatever. But when it comes to offensive linemen, as long as Funk is willing to put forth the effort to recruit, he doesn't have to be – some crazy dynamic recruiter to have success and recruit talent that he, that, that he can win with at the offensive line. It's just the nature of the position for BYU. It's one of the weirder things about BYU. I don't, I, like I say, I can't understand why Mormons produce these just corn fed giant Viking offensive linemen, but we do. So might as well take advantage of it. 
Right. And I think it's in terms of the fit of the staff as well, right? There is already a solid core, right? Like the strategy and the scheme that is coming for the most part from Aaron Roderick and Fessy Satake, that is in place. That isn't going to change. They are plugging Daryl Funk into something that is already successful. And when, and so if there's that cohesion, especially, you know, and some of it is going to be a fit thing. And I, you know, this was very locked down. We heard, you know, we heard a couple names, but it was really mostly just, you know, we, it was very tight lipped. And the only names we were hearing were the things like the TJ Woods, like you can guess like, okay, well, he was at Utah state. There's some familiarity with the staff. Like that was the kind of names we were hearing, but it was kind of just the guesses from the surface level. And we kind of snoop around on social media, try to find different things, look at different names. And, you know, it was very apparent that coach Roderick, Roderick was extremely thorough in trying to uncover who he thought was not only going to do the best job as a technician of getting what he could out of the offensive line, but also finding that fit with the staff of, Hey, look, we're not trying to rebuild an entire new offense. Like, yes, we understand that you have things to share and bring to the table, but we are have something that worked and is working and you are plugging in a gap. This is not a rebuild. And Which so is you, a great point. I mean, that really is a, a unique dynamic to this offensive coordinator offensive, I guess, coach search. Uh, it's rare that a guy like Jeff Grimes goes from BYU, a G5 school or a non P5. I don't want to offend anybody calling BYU a G5 school. I'm so sorry. A non-P5 school. It's so rare to see a guy like Grimes going from a non-P5 to a P5 and not take his entire coaching staff with him, or at least half, right? Like right. A good chunk of it. He was initially not going to take anybody. Nobody. Because right. like, Ryan P was going to go. Yeah, if it wasn't for some crazy internet you know, search that somebody pulled up some paparazzi tabloid article from 2009, uh, he wouldn't have taken anybody. And if I was a Baylor fan, I'd have been kind of freaking out and worried about that, that wait a minute, BYU replaced you in 12 hours and you're not bringing a single coach with you. What the hell did we get here? Uh, anyway, so very weird, unique, uh, a unique coaching search. And you're dead on Garrett that uh, really coach Roderick just needed to find a guy who can continue the momentum. He didn't need a guy to come in and revitalize, revamp the offensive line just continue what the offensive line was doing. And I think Co- coach Funk is that guy. He's very similar. You go back to some of those late two thousands, you know, like 2009, 2010 San Diego state teams, they were tough. They rushed the ball. Well, they protected the quarterback. Well, uh, those were some good teams. I mean, it was good enough to get Brady Hoke to Michigan, right? Like that, that wasn't nothing. And things didn't pan out for Funk and, and Hoke at Michigan. Uh, Ran the ball. Well, at, but they, they ran the ball well, but and really, like, remember that time at Michigan? That's a tough job, right? Because not that Michigan's a tough job. At that time, it was taking over for Rich Rod and having that Rich Rod spread read option offense, and then coming in and trying to implement what Brady Hoke ran. Like that was a that was tough, and it didn't work. But nothing worked on that offense long term, and I think that was a big part of it. But I digress. I think coach Funk is good. There was, there was more coaching shakeup than just the new hires, just coach Kloon and coach Funk, who, by the way, both of them this week have done interviews on BYU sports nation. You should watch it. Um, 
I'm a, I'm a sports nation fan. I don't watch every day, but there's some quality stuff there. And this interview with these two coaches, I think is very quality. So check it out to get to know their personalities a little bit, but uh, the other big news, and I think we're on differing sides of this, uh, this, this question, Garrett, but the big news that came was some of the, the, the coaching shakeup, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Coach Lamb will now coach the safeties. Coach Clune is coaching the linebackers. Uh, Tuiaki will coach the inside linemen, the defensive tackles. And then uh, obviously Coach Guilford with the corners still. Coach Hadley, Preston Hadley will coach the hybrids slash defensive ends. And I can't tell you how many people have reached out over the course of the last, I don't know, several days and said, that seems like a huge sign of respect for coach Hadley to be handed the defensive ends. That must mean that Kalani and Tuiaki view him as a rising star in this industry, something akin to that. What is your take on coach Hadley's move to the hybrids slash defensive ends? Well, I mean, we talked about this at like we even said in our guess was even as soon as the coaching change shuffled up, like back in December, right? When we recorded, we said, whoever the coaching staff is going to have someone who is coaching more as a pass rush specialist, right? Like what we're going to see, there's a four man front. We ran a four two the majority of last season. So it makes sense to break apart and, and especially when the biggest deficiency is getting pressure from the defensive line to have interior defensive line and exterior defensive line. And so it makes sense with that hybrid group to, you know, just have the defensive ends who'd be in more of rush situations and then the hybrid. And so we, that's something that we kind of expected though. We thought that it was going to be coach clune dealing with those positions right there rather than, him taking over the linebackers, which the way it's stevied up is basically he's doing the inside linebackers and then Lamb's doing the safeties and then Hadley has the outside linebackers and the defensive ends. And so um, I think the my initial thought from this is from that assignment is that we are going to, they finally feel like they have the bodies both on the back end and on the front to create pressure where it's, I mean, it's kind of in NFL terminology, like that's an edge coach. Like we have a dedicated edge coach of, someone focusing like strictly on getting a pass rush, creating pressure, doing things where, you know, similar to what we saw Kyle Van Noy do his whole time at BYU. Like, yes, he was playing under Bronco where it was a three, four the entire time. But how many times did you see Kyle Van Noy as a stand-up defensive end playing on the line of scrimmage, doing everything that a defensive end does. And in that, like, yes, you can call it a three, four, but if he does that, now you're in a four, three. Right. And if he does that and you have a fifth, a third safety on the field, now you're in a four, two, five, right? Like it's, and so it's a lot of, you know, semantics in there, but I think it is, I think it would have made more given what they've coached in their past. It makes, and where they played, it would have made more sense on paper to have either coach Clune do it or coach lamb take that, that position group on the edge Whereas, you know, with Preston Hadley taking it over, I think it, I mean, obviously it's defense is a lot, there's a lot less nuance in defensive positions and outside of corners, you can kind of swap guys around pretty freely in terms of this is what your coaching assignment is going to be. 
but I do think it is a sign. It's like that Preston Hadley, and maybe it's not necessarily a sign, huge sign of respect, like always oh, a rising star, but maybe he saw an opportunity of, I can expand my repertoire and he wants to make himself a rising star and make himself a valuable person in the coaching market. And I think that is probably closer to the truth. I, when I first saw it, my initial gut reaction was, oh man, were they not happy with Hadley at the safeties? That was what I thought. Were they not happy with Hadley at the safeties? Troy Warner played great. Zane Anderson did not. Like he played okay. Not great, but meh. And behind them, there wasn't a whole lot of depth, right? Like there's, there hasn't been anybody who has clearly developed into the replacement for Troy Warner and Zane Anderson. We're looking at uh, Chaz Ayu moving back and, and just relying on natural talent. And you're looking at Malik Moore, who has just been unable to stay in the two deep at the safety spot. You go back last year, Austin Lee was phenomenal, right? But Austin Lee had been phenomenal since he walked on campus. That was before Hadley got here. And there really hasn't, or there really wasn't anybody else who was phenomenal or even very good at the safety position in 2019. So my first thought was they want experience at the safeties. And that's why coach lamb is going there is they want to bring in somebody who has proven that they have an eye for defensive back talent on the recruiting trail, which Coach Lamb, for all of the things I've said about Coach Lamb, he is the guy who has brought in Chris Wilcox and Isaiah Heron and uh, D'Angelo Gunter and all of those guys, Keenan Ellis, like all of those are, are Coach Lamb recruits. So he, he gets talent and he gets the secondary. I also wondered if they said, ah, the linebackers have underperformed, so let's get Lamb out of the linebackers and back into where he's comfortable at the safety spot. Coach Clune has coached linebackers for the majority of his career. He has also coached along the defensive line. So it was a natural fit to put Coach Clune on the defense or on the linebackers. Okay, great. And Coach Tuiaki, you're going to continue to be the coordinator. You coach inside. That makes sense. That's your specialty. Perfect. Uh, well, I guess we got to put Hadley somewhere. Like that was kind of how I saw this playing out. Like, Maybe he reached out and said, Hey, I right. want to expand my resume. And that very well could be true, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a naysayer. I didn't look at it and think what a lot of fans did. I didn't look at it and go, wow. Like Sataki must really, really see a lot in, in coach Hadley. I looked at it and thought, yeah, I mean, safeties hadn't performed where people I think really want them to. And so now they're moving some experience there and you're bringing Hadley to a position that he's going to work hand in hand with both the head coach and the defensive coordinator on the defensive line where both the head coach and the defensive coordinator have made their careers. And it is worth noting too, as well, that it, he Ed lamb was the safety did handle the safeties in 2016 and 2017. Yeah. Prior Preston to was, yep. at BYU before Preston Hadley was hired. So yeah, I can, I mean, I can see that. Um, I think it's, it's probably a little bit of both of, you know, needing the odd man out and it like it may, I mean, looking, yes, Ed lamb did play was a linebacker played on the defensive line um, and initially started out coaching there, but it, you know, it's, he was the defensive backs coach at San the university of San Diego before he went to SUU. And then he came to, you know, handle the safeties. So he's kind of been more in the back 
um, the back of the defense in his career. So it's, it kind of was someone had to go somewhere out of place. And so it's, I think, you know, there's maybe, I, I do think though, it is kind of, I guess the prognostication of this is a big step for Preston Hadley is focused mainly on just the idea of what do you expect from this position and where is it going to be? Like how much trust is going to be put in, we know that the defensive line has struggled generating pressure and same with that hybrid position. It's a new position that was just introduced into the defensive scheme last year. And it's like, that's something that is going to be counted on because, you know, as a safety, you're just, you're going to be in pass coverage, right? That's what your job is. Whereas this, it's like you're dealing with defensive linemen who are going to have their hand in the dirt, primarily rush stoppers. And then you're also going to have, you know, these outside backers that are going to, be worked at presumably the same way we saw Van Noy and Fred Warner and Sione Takitaki in their careers where, <clears throat> you know, we'd see them one play up on the line of scrimmage rushing. And then the next play they're out on the numbers covering receivers. So it's just kind of, for me, it was the breadth of responsibilities that this presumably entails mm-hmm. is why I said it's kind of more of a, a step of trust. But like you said too, it's also going to be working, that will probably that will be the position where Kalani spends the most time uh, that of his spare time in practice is with this, that group and with Preston Hadley, and then he will also have you know Elisa Tuiaki there as well. Yeah, it'll be an interesting fit. Um, but by and large, I'm a fan of all, really, truly of, of all of the coaching moves. The one thing that, that that seems exciting to me is, from what I heard, the players really wanted Coach Clune. So they're, they're big fans of the hire. And from what I heard, um, you know, coach Mateos, coach Grimes, like everybody heard of, you know, of who's calling the plays. Like it's been a talking point for two years. Everybody heard the rumors that coach Grimes was unhappy and you know, all that stuff. And I have no idea what is and isn't true in that regard. Um, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was some headbutting, some, you know, productive headbutting between, Coach Grimes and Coach Mateos and, you know, the Fessy, Aaron Roderick, that crew. I, I'm anxious to see what happens with this coaching staff because I, I think there will be a little bit more cohesiveness. That said, they, they got big shoes to fill. That offense was great. Um, Gonzaga was great this week on Monday night. Gonzaga has been great all year. Yeah, they're bad. I mean, they just – I hate it. I just hate it. Like, I don't understand it. Uh, how they're so good. It just doesn't make sense. It's like people have, like, they're not, I don't know, they're not producing crazy amounts of NBA talent. Like, they're getting guys to the league, but there aren't very many Gonzaga stars, right, like in, in the association. How does you continue to lure in all of this talent? It just doesn't make sense to me. And they smoked BYU. It wasn't. It wasn't even as close as the 11 point score at the end of the game. I mean, it's, they just play so well as a team. Like that system is very much, it's kind of similar to, I mean, kind of like what the Patriots had with Tom Brady and Mark few is the Tom Brady of Gonzaga basketball, where Mm. if you walk into the Patriots locker room, or even I guess now with the bucks, it's like, if you walk into the locker room, you know exactly how it's going to be and you know, what's expected of you and you know what the system is going to be. And you know that you don't, complain you don't get to you know you're not gonna complain about playing time everyone is going to get what they deserve and you work hard and you bust your butt every day and like that is what we do and it's just that culture that has been built 
you know, over 20 years. And even, I mean, Gonzaga was good, but this hasn't been until like the last six, seven years, right? Like they were good for the first decade. That's they true. were, they were great or like, you know, they were good for like the first seven, eight years that he was there. And then they were great for the next seven or eight years, but now they've been elite, like top five program in all of college basketball for the last seven, eight years. And it's like, it's not something that has happened overnight. And it's, and so it's something that is going to take something to build towards. And it's, you know, it, frankly, it's incredible because I don't know what the hell there is doing Spokane, Washington. It can't be that. Oh, it's awful. To go there. It's awful. It's the worst place on, on the earth. It's not the worst place on the earth, but it's up there. I mean, Lubbock sucks. Laramie sucks, but at least in Lubbock and Laramie, you're in, you know, gun-toting, red-blooded American states. Like Spokane. Is, uh, yeah. I don't like, want to go to Spokane. No, no, I don't want to go to Spokane. It's like it's all the suck of Laramie combined with the suck of Los Angeles. Gosh, that, yeah, that's – if that is the best way that you can describe Spokane, Washington, I do not understand why anybody would want to – why anyone there, would want to live there. There's a reason that uh, uh, Preston Norton, friend of the show and uh, referee extraordinaire, calls it Spokanistan or Spokompton, both applicable. And I feel like both are accurate illustrations of how sucky Spokane really is. Uh, you know what I started to do this week? I started watching on Hulu because it's officially on Hulu, Modern Family. Like, have you ever watched, or were you like me with Modern Family that it was like, oh yeah, it's good, I'll watch it when it's on, but you didn't watch it? Uh, I mean, I like watched the first season because it like came on and I watched it like, and then I went on my machine and came back and never got back into it. And I, yeah. I didn't realize that it's like still on. Like there's like 15 oh, yeah. of that show. There's a ton. And it, it was always just a show that, it was kind of like the Big Bang Theory. Like I wasn't one of those guys that just watched it. But if it was on, sure. Like the, you didn't have to know like, every ongoing story that last season's long to understand the plot. So I've never watched modern family like in succession from start to finish. And I gotta say, this show makes me laugh out loud, like out loud funny. And I know that I'm not, you know, breaking news to people, but modern family folks, it's on Hulu and it is worth throwing into the rotation that everybody goes through of the Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, New Girl. Go ahead and throw this in there because it's worth okay. it. Like I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised at okay. how funny it was. And how does Modern Family tie to Gonzaga or Spokane? Oh, it, it doesn't. It, oh, all. it's on in the background, and so I just you know thought about it. Oh, okay. I thought I, I thought been, that. I thinking, I thought, no, 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 no. There, there's no. There's no tie. I mean, if you want me to come up with a tie, I'm pretty sure that I could. I mean, I thought you were going to say something about you would watch that show on mute and still enjoy watching it for other reasons. Um, but the... <laughs> uh, which which also has nothing to do with Gonzaga, but uh, yes. <laughs> so, speaking, we were smoked by Gonzaga. We have no games canceled, or we have no game scheduled for this weekend because of COVID cancellations. Um, sources have told... Give them hell, Brigham, today that we won't give specifics now, but that there was at least one Big 12 team, a Big 10 team, and a Big East team 
that the athletic department and the scheduling, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not sure who handles it. I think it's coach Fuger handles the scheduling for the basketball program. Um, Robinson. You know, it's Robinson handles it. Yeah. And yeah. so he, uh, you know, that they were reaching out, kicking tires, trying to find anybody that would play them and swinging for the stars, trying to get three big, you know, these were all good names and big names that we heard. And they, all three of them said, no, they're scared. They don't want that smoke and they don't want what the Pope is cooking. And Listen, I, I also don't want that smoke. Like I know anytime, any place, anywhere is this mantra of BYU athletics, but it ended up in a loss at coastal and it ended up getting smoked by Gonzaga. I'm tired of the smoke, right? Like I am a match that has been soaked in water. I am. I watched a YouTube video of a combine that had caught on fire in the middle of a grain field and was just burning. And then at the end, it was just this smoldering ember of sadness. I am that burnt up combine that is just a smoldering ember of sadness that all you can look at, you can't even look at that set, that, that combine and think, wow, that was a cool fire because your heart goes out for the farmer who just lost his combine and his crop and his livelihood for the next 12 months. That's me. That is what the smoke has done to me. I'm tired of the smoke. I don't want any time, any place, anywhere ever again. No, it needs to be calculated who we play and when we play, because anytime, any place, anywhere, it's failed. Hasn't worked. Don't do it anymore. I will give you that. But that said, only two of the teams that we were told the discussions were happening with uh, happened happened to be in the top. Only two of them are in the top 20 on Ken Palm's ratings, okay? <laughs> only two of them. And so, hey man, still you know, scares me. It, it, the other one would be beatable, but it's, you know, ratings are weird even after, I mean, BYU's up to number 32. Get smoked by Gonzaga, move up in the rankings. Hey, man, it's, it's that, that coveted quality loss. It is a quality by, loss because by, by when, bringing it into an 11 point loss at the end of the game, that is officially a good loss. If it would have right. been 20, it's just a loss. Right. Because if they expect, if the models predict that Gonzaga will win by 20 and they only win by 11, it means that Gonzaga is either worse than you thought they were or BYU is better than they thought you thought they were. It's usually a little bit of both. And so. Gonzaga, they're rated. They stayed number one, but their rating dropped down a little bit. BYU got a lift. We slid in rank number 32 now. We're knocking at the door solidly in the top 40 and in the field of play. And it's, you know, I would play Gonzaga five more times if they'd let us just because uh, we keep we keep moving up. It helps us every we the first time we played them, we went from like 60 to 55. <laughs> it's <laughs> true though, man. Like uh losing to Gonzaga by 10 does more for BYU's resume than beating the hell out of Loyola Marymount. It does. And it's like without question. And so it's, it is what it is. And so I hope there were a couple other, um, there were a couple other games. I know that we saw like possibly playing USU again or Colorado state. Those were a couple of other names that we heard float around a couple of mountain West schools. Um, I reached out and talked to someone um, who's a part of the basketball staff and there was no real serious talks with either of those programs uh, about playing this weekend. So I think it's, if, you know, same with that calculated risk of if they're going to play that game, 
they're not going to play it with someone where a loss will hurt them, right? Like if it's, you know, if Baylor comes out and is like, hey, we will play you guys in Waco, it's like, okay, you can, if you lose to Baylor by five on the road in Waco, everyone's like, oh, okay. Like it's different than football, right? Like it's people take notice of a five point loss on the road against the number two team of the country, right? That's a big who, deal. Who did more for Waco? Chip and Joanne, Chip and Joanna. I don't know what their names are. Or Robert Griffin III. Mm. Like I know Waco. I mean, if we're talking about the economy of Waco, I mean, I know the ATF. The ATF did not do good for Waco. The uh, no, no, they were they were bad. Yes, and uh, but that's another show that hey, Paramount Plus. I'm sure you saw the uh, the commercials for Paramount Plus, but that was a Paramount Network show, Waco, starring Taylor Kitsch. AKA Tim Riggins. Yep. Um, was very great. Very, was, very, very great. Um, except, for, do you know about the end, like the final episode and the waning moments of that show? They actually like sugarcoated it and it's like yeah, a made lot. lighter for TV and it's still pretty freaking bad. Um, yeah. So I recommend watching that for anyone. It is a great show. But I do I'm too. Gonna, and that's a good segue, Garrett. I, I, I mean, I, to answer your question, though, I would have to say Chip and Joe did more because they are I getting their so. own TV channel. The DIY channel is being rebranded to Magnolia Television, and Chip yeah, and Joe are getting their own TV channel. Yeah, you're right. They they definitely did. Uh, I know that you're looking at our agenda. As I say, that's a good segue. I know you're looking at the agenda going, I don't understand how that's a segue to anything that we have written down here. But – the Give a Mel Brigham magazine is in the works. And I think there could be, I don't want to say there's going to be an article on Waco specifically, but here we are making a TV recommendation and, and not a sitcom. I can, I can say this. There is going to be an article. Maybe it'll be a collaborative article that we'll work on together. Maybe it will just be one of us. I don't know. But there will be an article where we are recommending quality television for you to watch, not sitcoms and not mainstream crap. You know, not, we're not going to say, Hey, breaking bad. It's great. We're in a, no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to, you know, Waco, uh, hell or high water is a show that people should be watching. It's, I mean, it was a movie, but you should have watched hell or high water on Netflix. There's a lot of, of quality content in the streaming world that you kind of got to dig a little bit to find there is going to be an article about that in the give them hell brigand magazine i, I just opened sure i just created the document in our content folder and right. with your other articles that you have already started writing you have written more than me in the magazine so it's pretty much like on our website you generally write more than i do yeah nobody's um, surprised by that no but it's we we are working i think we probably got a with this, we probably got about a third of the articles done. Again, we are looking forward to a uh, – we're shooting for an April uh, release of this. So we're about maybe six-ish weeks away, six, seven weeks, depending on you know how we get this. And it's going to be – you know, it's going to be fun. And it's going to be uh, you know something that is – I'm really excited about the things that we got going for the magazine. And I think as of last week, it's all of – all eight of our sponsorship sponsorship slots have officially sold out. Like our advertising, it's huge. Is done. So it's huge. We've got to collect. Uh, we got to collect money. Yeah, I got to do the invoices for that. So if you are listening to this and you have purchased 
or we have tentatively agreed to things, uh, I'll probably just send you an invoice. I'm not going to do this big old fancy legal mumbo jumbo contract. It's you tell us what you want us to print. You give us money. We print it. That's our contract by you pay the money. You're agreeing that we're going to print it. And so it's, you there's know, a lot of, there's going to be a lot of trust here, right? Like I'm, you know, as I am now in the mortgage business myself and, you know, as a sponsor of the show, and <laughs> you can reach out to me. And if you are interested in getting a refire, you have a purchase of yourself for yourself, but you know, we can, there's plenty of contracts and legal things to go through. I get enough of that there. I'm actually closing on a house myself next week. I'm closing on an investment property in Memphis, Tennessee next week. So they Okay. Everybody <laughs> ring the bell. Garrett's getting an investment property. Uh, and he, he wanted to say that I could tell, I could see the glimmer in your eye. You wanted to tell the world that you were getting an investment property. I think he's, He's graduating from pre-rich folks. You don't have an investment property if you're you're still in pre-rich. I mean, it's a very it's a class C property that's <laughs> very my initial buy-in on this is very very low, but my my dividend my yield on my cash on cash return is very high. So because Memphis is a great place to buy. So I am buying uh I, yeah, I'm about to close on a house myself and there's way too many things you got to sign and you got to deal with that. We're not about that here. This I is- just closed on a construction loan this week to build my own house and uh, it was a nightmare. Yeah, like, that was just to buy dirt. I haven't even bought a house yet. Right. And it's so we don't believe in that legal mumbo jumbo here. We believe in being honest and sticking to our word and your word is your bond. And if you screw us, we, we will. will. We will publish. We will. I have no qualms ruining your business yeah we'll do it i mean we won't be happy about it depending on what the business is but we're gonna friggin' do it i can assure you of that and i I mean everybody that has reached out to us i think they're all pretty i mean they're upstanding individuals i think a lot of them no i've got no worries but if it were teespring you know if teespring ever wanted to sponsor with us when we exceed the net worth of teespring i can't wait Dave Portnoy and people, you know, like or hate Dave Portnoy, whatever. I don't care. He holds grudges the way I want to hold grudges. Did you know this about him? That when he decides he doesn't like you, he will go and I, I don't know what kind of, whether it's champagne or wine, but he goes and he actually engraves your name on some fancy bottle. I think it is champagne, some fancy bottle of champagne. He will have your name engraved. And when he feels like he has taken you down, he finds himself a, a nice, a nice quiet spot. He grabs the champagne with your name engraved, and that's what he enjoys himself with. He, you know, pops the top, has some champagne, and celebrates by himself a murder on the internet. That is, I want to be at that level. I want that, to hold grudges like Dave Portnoy. I don't think I could ever be that petty. I think I could. You know, I, I don't think I'd have very many problems being that petty. The it's, I mean, I I could try to do that, but I just I I would probably laugh if you think of how ridiculous <laughs> it is. You continue to handle the, uh, you handle the invoicing, you handle the money, I'll handle the pettiness of give them hell, Brigham Incorporated. Okay. Which I, I speaking of Incorporated, that. I also researched buying the domain name gehb.com. Ooh. Is it a thing? 
Well, someone owns it because every single four-letter domain name is purchased already for every .com. And so it would have cost us about 10 Gs. Our brand's not quite there yet. So if you go to gehb.com, it will take you nowhere other than a thing that says this is for sale because someone owns it and they're just squatting on it. But you can go to givemhelpbrigham.com and you can find plenty of shirts, hats, and sweatshirts. And they're awesome. Jeff, you consistently, so it's set up that when you order a sample, it charges my credit card and I get Venmo (laughs) things. I get, Jeff has earned me so many miles on my credit card this year by buying samples and then Venmoing me to pay me back for them. Well, you got to do what you got to do. Look, I am committed to this brand and I, I feel like your commitment level isn't quite there, but I am to the point that uh, if I'm not wearing something, give them hell, Brigham, something's wrong. I, I have mean, enough shirts I just, in my uh, wardrobe that I could go like two full weeks without doing laundry and wear give them hell, Brigham every day. I just need to get rid of clothes that I already have because I have too many clothes. And since I work from home, I like just don't cycle through my clothes very often because I don't go anywhere and nobody mm-hmm. sees me. <laughs> so- I get it. I get it. I uh I still, man, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the brand. I think that we can take this places. And why are we talking about this right now on the heels of talking about the magazine? Because it is the slowest time of the sports year, especially with COVID impacting basketball, at least normally you'd have a, you know, a random game against like uh, Pepperdine to talk about this week. Nothing. There is nothing going on. So we could talk about girls basketball. Shaylee Gonzalez is my girl and she is killing it. Uh, the lady Cougs are going to, I think they're right on the bubble. I think they sneak into the tournament. They've got a close strong, but I think they get there. But I, with all due respect to the lady Cougs, and I know that there's going to be people who are going to respond to this and get mad about it. I just don't know that the general audience of the Give Them Hell, Brigham podcast really is dying to know the latest in Lady Cougar Hoops. Die. We're going to have to do some research before next week's episode before we get that on because I got nothing. Like I, I could talk about it. We're going to. We're going to do some research. Because the Lady Cougs are good. Shaley Gonzalez is great. Lauren Gustin had like 27 and 27 points, 20 rebounds the other night. She's fantastic. Sister of Porter Gustin, which uh, is very interesting to me that she ended up at BYU because of all of the hullabaloo that went on when Porter was being recruited. Like, look, Porter was never going to go to BYU. I think we can all uh, we can all accept that. But all of the, I remember the, his mom, you know, Sister Gustin, fighting with BYU fans who were, BYU fans, we, uh, the audience of, of GEHB, we have to be the collective goodness of BYU fans. Like, we've got to lead the charge. There is something about a BYU fan scorned on the internet that is indescribable. And I remember watching these fans say just outrageous things to this mother of a recruit is yes it was that, insanity to a recruit that didn't even have an offer from BYU. didn't even have an offer like 
I know that, and, and this is the, the first thing that every, anytime I bring this up and I say BYU fans, right? Anytime I say that, you immediately get BYU fans saying like, oh, well, you should go to the internet and see the SEC per capita, right? Like there are not as many BYU fans as there are Ohio State fans, not even close. Per capita, I would be willing to willing to bet that, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for here, Garrett? That, that. I'm going to say inappropriate, but maybe I'm just like the gray area of tweets, not inappropriate. That makes it sound like there's, you know, this right and wrong to how to be on the internet. That's not true, but tweets that fall into the gray area of eh, maybe shouldn't have tweeted that by BYU fans is greater than I'm going to say any other fan base, not named Utah. I think per capita BYU is up there in we have more than everybody else uh, and utah fans utah fans are right and cr- just slinging crap on the internet i mean i think it's yeah. the most v- vitriolic filled okay. rivalry in all of college sports at least on the internet because it's i mean people will do it but it's it's just a weird like the meshing of the two fan bases and especially it's much i think i mean there are more BYU fans that are like that, but the level and quickness from the Utah fans of these like one oh, percent yeah. is unmatched. Like it's even like you will see national writers will purposely oh, do things what? about say things about BYU because they know and have been like, oh yeah, surprise all the Utah fans in my mentions. Utah fans are awful. BYU fans are not far below. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a one A one B. Do you think it's a church thing? Like, not not that the church encourages it, but is it like in the the? I mean, because look, like as much as Utah fans don't want to admit it, we're all the same people. Like by and large, Utah's fan base and BYU's fan base is members of the church. Is it because the church has been persecuted for so long that we have this persecution complex just ingrained into us? Is that why we're sensitive to these kinds of things? I think so. And I just think, I think realignment did it more because it's, Mm. you know, Utah wants to say like, Oh, we are not close to them. Like we got our golden ticket. We are P five school now. Like we are, they are below us. And so they have that kind of like little man syndrome of we're here and we belong and we're better than you. Mm -hmm. And then BYU fans have the, well, we have the actual history in the national championship and we deserve to be there and we are scorned because we got left out. So we are going to get pissed every time someone refers to us as a G5 school. It's just strange. Like you don't see, I don't know, like I'm trying to think of a school, like you're never getting into arguments with the Indiana fan on the internet. Like there's not very many uh, Texas tech fans that are going to come and just berate your mentions with, you know, hate speech oh, because yeah. like, it's just not there. It's I mean, just it, not there. If you look at any of there's like, I don't remember the article or the account, but there's things that track like interactions with NCAA, um, you know, social media accounts or whatever. And BYU is consistently in the top of like most mentions, most fan driven content. So it is one of the consistently one of like the top 25 fan bases in all of college sports in terms of volume um so it's you know it's uh it is something and we all get in the same room and when we feel when hell hath no fury like a cougar fan scorned so strange and you know whatever please just behave 
on the internet. Let's represent the brand in a good way. The last thing I'm going to say about what I hope our internet activity consists of is hashtag give them hell, Brigham, hashtag GEHB. I want to make that, you want to make that the, the sick'em, the hook'em, the gig'em, the eight clap. Give them hell, man. The let's fly of the Air Force. We want that to be everywhere. Yeah. And it starts with us. It starts with us. And if you listen to this, if you see something BYU related, you like something happen, it's like, you know, hashtag give them hell, hashtag GEHB. Like make that thing. Uh, Jason, are you Jack DeMooney? We know you listen to this next time offers go out. You see something next time, Jack DeMooney. Next time you call somebody, your nephew, we want to see the hashtag. We do. We need to see the hashtag. In fact, I'm going to do it right now. Here we are. Kai Nakua just tweeted out later this or earlier this evening that he is signed with the 49ers for next year. I am quote tweeting his tweet with two hashtags. Give them hell. What, what are we doing? Give them hell. Brick them. No, it's got to just no, be give, so them, give hell. them hell. And, and then GEHB. And that needs to be the calling card. It's got to happen because right now it's go kooks, right? Like hashtag go kook. There's so many freaking cougars. Nobody knows. Are we talking about Wazoo? Did you accidentally spell cougars the right way? And you meant to be talking about Houston, but you're intelligent. Like there's, there's lots of, there's just lots of cougars, man. Like we've, we've got to branch out on the internet from go kooks. It's time. And yes, this it's, is how, this is how, and our podcast is doing it. And just as we give them hell, so to will the masses give them hell, give them hell, Jeff. It's going to, it's been a great episode. It's going to be a good week and we will be back next Wednesday night to record another episode. Good night.